0: I think what realistically would happen is someone would ask me to name my ship so they could paint the name on the side of the ship and then i would leave it unpainted for years and years and years unnamed ship because like i couldn't fucking commit to one goddamn name <laughs> it's or the it's reason like i those can't put decorating stickers things on
1: anything. where it's like <laughs> yeah no thanks i don't want a name for my ship so they write no thanks i don't want a name for my <laughs> <Yeah>. ship <laughs>
2: <laughs> no engraving please just paint it on the side <laughs>
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I'm Blue, and I'm joined by Red.
2: I have another failed attempt at creating an iced coffee mocha, and I don't know what's going wrong.
1: Uh, Is chocolate just not the vibe? It should.
2: I love mochas most of the time. Chocolate and coffee are flavors that work great together, but cold brew and chocolate milk are, for some reason, not working.
1: In in L.A., it would sell like hotcakes. People love that kind of trendy shit over Uh, there.
2: Well, that's because most coffee people don't actually care how it tastes. (sighs)
1: Ha <sighs> Oh boy, knives are out 13 (laughs) seconds into the pod.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true.
1: (laughs) No, I'm just remembering, uh, because we're we're getting ready to go to VidCon um, next month, and I'm thinking back to when we were there last year, and all of the absolutely wild shit we saw on drink menus when we were there, which was very (laughs) inventive, but I don't know if much of them would have actually turned out to be good.
2: (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to find that out. I I think I've only spent seven hours total in California before. Uh, No, that's not true. I've only spent seven hours total in a city in California before. Yeah. We were yeah. like in uh, in Yosemite, which does count. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, I did sh- I didn't go to VidCon last year, uh, but I am excited to do it this year. So I think that should be fun.
1: We'll come back with okay. stories when we get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> or once we get back, I should say. <laughs> um. Oh boy. But yeah. Yeah, that's uh, stuff that's for later, but let's talk about the past. Let's go way the hell back to <laughs> 2,300 years ago? Yeah, I can count. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had another Sparta thing. I had the first uh. video, and then... A bunch of comments were like, yeah, you know, haha." the funny time when Philip of Macedon was like, if I come into your lands, I'll kick your ass. And Sparta's like, if, and then he did, and and their asses were kicked. And I thought, yeah, I can talk about this. Uh, and not only was I able to talk about that, I it, the video actually kind of came to me in, in as much of a flash of light as any video ever does when I was uh, on a plane uh, with my dad um, for part of our, our European trip. Um, before he had to head back, oops, uh, where I was, uh, I didn't have any internet, but I had my phone and I was like, I want to write about this whole Philip and Sparta business. So I just started drafting on it. And by the time we landed, I had like what turned out into a page of script. It was like, oh shit, it never <laughs> happens like that. It's usually a much more fraught process to get a script on paper. Oh, um, but then I was able to transition alive. into the uh, the story of King Cleomenes and his wife, Crady which was the topic of my, my senior thesis uh, in college, uh, which I had, Briefly done some stuff on like abstractly uh, before, but this time was like oh, I can actually tell that story in a video, and uh, <laughs> I think it uh, it worked out pretty well. So she I was, was... Uh, I was happy with how it turned out. The the dunk to the like inverse dunk where it's like oh actually this is kind of cool. Like they actually kind of did a good job here. Yeah. So
2: to Sparta's credit, they were not incorrect. They did say if, and then he did, and the thing he said would happen did in fact happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like it was, Sparta claimed. You will kick our ass, but I'll make you work for it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. He was like, if I come into your lands, I'll kick your ass. And Sparta said, yeah, if you come into our lands. And then he came into their lands. And sure enough, he did kick their asses. So they were all in agreement. Everything worked out great. <laughs>
1: It was business negotiation. the The more the more impressive one was uh, uh, when Philip first sent the envoy. He was like, "Would you like me to come into your land as friend or foe?" And Sparta said, "Neither." That one is actually like kind of <laughs> clever.
2: <laughs> Neither, fuck off.
1: <laughs> because that's a request as opposed to a, a, a boast of non-existent martial prowess. But
2: yeah, um,
1: I I was. Uh, pleased with uh with the overall uh reception to the video i got uh email from my dad like oh this was really good this is one of your best i got a text (laughs) from uh from uh jack our friend uh jacques who was like this one's one of your best i'm like oh shit thanks guys um
2: (laughs) so i I was very
1: pleased with that Uh, one of the undercurrents in the comments was like yeah i'm not uh, i'm not sure if this really counts as sparta's finest hour because they went back to like a pretty rough uh, like, aggressive martial regime, which just led to, like, all of the adult males pretty much getting killed in one go. I don't, I don't know if we want to, like, celebrate that, which is honestly, like, very solid point, uh, because in the context (laughs) of Sparta, like, this is their return to form, and their form was that they sucked, so, like, even when they're good at their jobs, they were awful.
2: (laughs) They had a bit of a a bit of an honor before reason vibe, I think, yeah. uh, which is great from a storytelling standpoint. Not so great for the long term survival of your culture.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. the, the whole, like, upshot of uh, Thermopylae was that they were able to protect other people who were actually, like, in need of protecting, in which case, you know, the uh, the Athenians were able to evacuate the city before it got completely destroyed by the Persians, but this one was, like, this was a Thermopylae minus, like, the the noble cause of people they were protecting. <laughs> they, like, they just went in to die. Yeah. So, it's like, when you look at it, you can kind of think, like, oh, this was, like, a really noble thing for, like, to sacrifice herself for, like, the good of Sparta and for Cleomenes to, to eschew luxury for the sake of uh, of, you know, really bringing the 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 dignity and uh, and ethos back to his people. But then you look at it the other way; it's like no, like they're they're still fucking morons. Like yeah. they still don't have their priorities straight. And even after that, it's like well, no. And you can go back and forth and ping pong on whether or not it was a good idea, which is very typically Spartan. But um, <laughs> I was pleased to be able to to tell the story in that way. Start with the just outright dunk, and then turn around to well, here they actually had a cool thing here. Um,
2: yeah, no, it was really interesting, and I I think that the the tragedy of sparta is that if they'd won their story would have been so good cuz like they've got all the hallmarks oh we're we're proud warrior race people we, we do a bunch of rad cool shit we train like mad and we're sort of egalitarian a little bit except for all the slavery man we're so cool but then they just kept losing so it's yeah. like oh well <laughs> you know maybe you should have tried anything else but like if it had worked oh the stories they could have told here's the th-
1: Thing? Like, even if they did, what would they have done against Rome? That would have been even <laughs> yeah. more embarrassing. So I yeah. think, like, when I say they got the good ending here, I think they honestly saved themselves from a much more embarrassing stomping at the hands of the Romans. Oh,
2: uh, yeah. <laughs> it died earlier uh, so that they didn't get thoroughly trounced later. Yeah. I feel But I feel like the, the angle that I just took is actually a little bit telling of why uh, fiction loves these guys so much. Uh, and why fictional stories will have, you know, the basically Spartans, the basically, uh, the version of Vikings that people thought were basically Spartans. Uh, like, you know. Boat Spartans. Every, yeah, Boat Spartans. Everyone's got, like, oh, these guys, they, they, they are bred only for combat. Welcome to the Klingon Empire. And it's like, these guys are rad in moderation. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're a cool. Uh, the stock trope of, like, the person from the culture of all badass warriors is, like, that's that's an old chestnut from the fantasy genre because it's fun to have one of those guys because they can be like, in my culture, we are flung from cliffs as babies and then forced to crawl back up and the strong survive with sick gains and everyone's like, neat, I sleep in a bed. Um...
1: (laughs) And then so. it's it's more interesting that way because you have one of those characters as kind of a fish out of water reacting to being, like, a normal fucking person. Yeah. Uh, but then when you have, like, the rest of them, it just becomes, like, oppressively like, gaudy it's with bad. the machismo. Yeah. yeah, well, they
2: usually sh- They usually end up being bad guys. Like, individual yeah. Klingons are good. The Klingon Empire, usually not so good. Like, that yeah. kind of thing. Or, like, the proud warrior race guy has been exiled from their culture of other badasses, and they're even more badass than he is. Like, that kind of thing. Like, storytelling-wise, it's so fun to have just one of these guys around because they can have the most hilariously brutal upbringing and have every single combat skill known to man, and then everyone else is, like you said, a normal fucking person and that contrast is fun but it turns out this has the exact same problem that everybody has been joking about it having for years which is you cannot have a culture of only warriors someone has to grow the food (laughs) someone has to make the weapons there has to be something that happens once you're over 40 and can't hack it in the combat field anymore like you can't actually build a society out of only ass kicking it literally doesn't hold together
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it's, the
2: stories they tell. Oh.
1: It's also like uh, more history that I'll eventually get to is like what happened after the Peloponnesian War. Like Athens got got pretty solidly trounced in the the, the post-war peace agreement, but long term they kind of ended up coming out of it a lot better than Sparta did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they actually, as a society, knew how to function on a base that wasn't abundant, constant, uh, manipulative slave labor. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... they also had slaves, but it wasn't like. Their society crumbles if there are not constantly an army of slaves telling all of the fields. So, I, I mean, a lot of ancient Greek society was pretty disgusting when you look at it for more than two seconds. But yeah, well. Athens at least kind of knew how to function.
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, if 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 everything that holds up the functionality of your society is a slave labor force, and all of your people are just dicking around, you know, hitting the gym, yeah. uh, and then each other, like, then the, the fucking your society's gonna fall apart the minute that anything happens. But if your culture is actually sort of built around like some people do food and some people do building and some people make textiles and, and like, you know, there is slavery like, and we're not trying to pretend like Athens was some great shining <laughs> civilization on a hill, no matter what Athens will tell you about it. Yeah. But like, they were slightly better equipped to handle it than Sparta.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, one of the things that that I really had to adjust in my conception of Sparta was uh, my thesis was about the the poet uh, Constantine Cavafi. He'll get a History Makers video eventually, but he is like, he loved the Spartans because he, he didn't like, oh, they're so, you know, manly and stuff. He's like, they were honorable and like, that's his thing with them. So all of his poetry mm-hmm. is like, oh, the Spartans, mm-hmm. like they're so honorable, they'll self-sacrifice. And like, I read all of his poems through that lens. So I haven't come to this and it's like, okay, yes. But so interesting uh, uh, wrangling of interpretations that I'll be able to sort through when I cover him in a future video.
2: I think I'm remembering this correctly. The Platonic dialogues about Atlantis were about how, like, nine thousand years ago, the Athenians were so cool and they did a lot of working out and very little else. Like, man, ancient Athens so much like Sparta, and it's like "Eh, okay. So I, I really do think like the the modern sort of like oh the Spartans, great warriors, is like. Just an extension of how a lot of the Athenians felt at the time, too. Like, oh, gone too soon. Such cool badasses. Like, man, their austerity measures were great. Um, (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) But speaking Uh, of uh, of boat Spartans, let's go up to to Scandinavia for a bit.
2: Yeah, on the subject of unreliable narratives, my God. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. This one was fun. So my video uh, that just came out a few days ago was about the nine realms of Norse mythology. You know, the nine realms. Midgard, Asgard, looks at smudged writing on hand. (laughs) knee, n- niffle, something. <laughs> just, oh, God. I really thought I was going to find something there. I, I really thought there had to be a list somewhere because everyone's so confident about how there are nine of them. And everyone's so confident about, like, yeah, the land of the elves, the other land of the elves, the place where the dwarves are, the land of hell, land of cold, land of cold and hell. And it's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. That, mm-hmm, okay. So this must be coming from somewhere. And then I got suspicious when I caught those uh, footnotes in the translation of the prose that I was reading, where the translator was like, the Nine Realms are probably, and I was like, what do you mean, <laughs> like, what do you probably? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, boy. Honestly, though, it was kind of a relief the minute I found out, like, neither of these Alfheims are real. Like, yeah, come on. I was After that point, all bets were off, because every single list has those two on it. Everyone yeah. is like, Alfheim and Spot Alfheim. And it's like, no, neither of those. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll admit that I I fell for the the Nine Realms propaganda because when I was playing through, I mean, God of War 2018, God of War Ragnarok, I'm like, yeah, no, these are the ones, right? And they were Mm -hmm. talking to Adam Ludo-History, he's like, no, 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 like, oh, oops. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, so yes, I I mentioned in the video, I did coordinate heavily with our bud Adam uh, slash Ludo-History because this is exactly his area of expertise. It was a rare case, too, where I got to be like, well, I found a source that said this, and he was like, oh, shit. I guess that is a thing. And I was like, yes, yes, I knew it. <laughs> you are not all knowing. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but yeah, in that case, it was about Nidavellir at Okolnir, which, uh, of course, Nidavellir is the go-to, like, the realm of the dwarves. And it's not. It's fucking not. Uh, it's a place where some dwarves hang out. And in the exact same stanza, there's another place where the dwarves hang out. It has exactly as many lines dedicated to it. And uh, it's like... Well, why didn't Avalir get shortlisting on the Nine Realms and Near nobody even knows exists? That's yeah. not fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. I think uh, the thing I was not expecting to go over as well as it did was my sort of ending conclusion of like, I don't actually think there are nine of them. <laughs> I think that nine is like poetic convention and that's it and uh, a lot of people were like man that's a that's that's kind of a relief actually it's like yes see see (laughs) sometimes you can just not give a fuck and everything's okay
1: (laughs) yeah we, we always want to think like oh the the real solid codified list of everything that we ever want to know is out there and we just don't have it but a lot of times, it, like poetry is poetry. Th- these things are not defined and, and set in stone. And even with with sources from roughly the same period, we have disagreements. And being able to think, like, oh, it's like the seven seas. Oh, okay, cool. So it's not actually like a solid thing. Yeah, it's such a relief.
2: When I realized the seven seas connection, I was like, oh, that's that's good. Actually, this is, <laughs> this is an important breakthrough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had I had a lot of fun compiling the stuff for this one. Uh, it. It was uh, it was frustrating too because I really wanted there to be more information and I think that's what that, that's like a trap that a lot of these scholars have been caught in for at this point centuries because it's like they keep saying nine there has to be nine and I have to be able to arrange them on a map and it's like Ew, wow because <laughs> because uh, this is another thing that a few people in the comments pointed out and I could have uh, brought up more clearly in the video but basically like we have this sort of. Marvelified idea of how the nine realms are like each one is like a dimension or a world of its own or something like that because well, I'm trying to remember when I first brought this up. I think it was ages ago in the trope talk on like saving the world uh, where until recently we couldn't really conceive of the world as a whole understood thing. Like we didn't have, you know, eventually you'd run off the edge of the map. It, it was just kind of how yeah. it worked until Terra got...
1: incognita.
2: Yeah. Um, so instead of it being, like, there's another world out there, it's like, there's more stuff. Like, if you keep going east, you're gonna find some weird shit. Uh, (laughs) like, that was just kind of how the world worked until, you know, the days of precise satellite imagery, where we know exactly where everything is on the surface of the globe, and we have a a pretty good understanding of how big the world is and how it works. Uh, but this is kind of, (laughs) this is kind of tying into the, the thing I... The entire like phones trope talk about, which is our sense of normalcy has completely shifted in a way that we don't understand because, like, the concept of terra incognita no longer makes any sense to us, really. Like, you still have things like flat earthers and like you know, certain conspiracies about like what if there's like more land like inside the earth? Well, what about that, huh? But it's
1: the depths, yeah, the depths, exactly. <laughs> <Under Hyrule>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but like, practically speaking, we kind of know where everything is now, yeah. Uh, So when we conceive of other worlds, we put them in space, uh, or in another dimension, alongside our own, or something like that. Somewhere that we can't physically see or get to, but that's how we conceive of other worlds. And when we look at the Nine Realms, we're like, ah, okay, Midgard is Earth, and then everything else goes from there. And I, I mentioned in the video that that's not the case. Midgard is specified to be a specific part of the world. Uh, they don't really delineate its borders but Midgard is the part of the world that's made from Ymir's eyebrows as a a berg, a a fortified wall against the forces of the giants. So theoretically, you could maybe take a rough approximation of the world map at the time and put like, okay, they say Muspelheim is south, so maybe they notice things get hotter when you go south, and Niflheim is north, but they also say it's under everything, so I don't know what's up with that. Uh, <laughs> And the fact is, like, all we have to work from is poetry. Poetry is famous for being non-literal about stuff because it rhymes or scans better. They have so many kennings for things just because it's like, I need a three-syllable word that means this thing I need. I need a two-syllable word that means this thing I need.
1: And you drop that early in the video and then are able to kind of pick it up when you get back to, like, the nine is, like, nine's just a literary device, guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I think that the temptation to be able to physically put them all on a map or arrange them in a shape is just so strong because it would be so nice. It would be so nice to be able to have them (laughs) delineated into nice little buckets because, you know, that was kind of the opening of the video. Like, we love it when things get sorted. So we look at this and we're like, they must have been able to be categorized. We must be able to draw lines between them. And practically speaking, that doesn't seem to be the case. But... We really want it to be true, and it colors the way we do all of our analysis, because it's like, oh, Niflheim, and Niflhel, and Hell and the Gates of Hell. these are all locations specified in different parts of the poem. But are they different places, or are they all the same place? And there's almost no way to tell. Uh, (laughs) And of course, there's also things like, hey, some of these stanzas seem to be out of order. For instance, uh, Nidafjöl, the place where the the Nidhogg flies out from after uh, Ragnarok, there's like a footnote in that one that's like, it looks like they took this stanza from somewhere else and then just put it at the end because it doesn't really flow with the preceding <laughs> stuff and like everything God. else was like winding up for like, oh yeah, the gods gather and and they're, they're in ether fuel and everything's great and they're figuring stuff out and then the Nidhogg flies out <laughs> to rain great terror with dead men on his wings. It's like, whoa, what? <laughs> what
1: <laughs> and also that... Nidhogg. Yeah, and yeah. also
2: Nidhogg is here and it's just like, ha. Huh. So... There's just so much yeah. shit, and it it's so fun. And then, of course, Snorri's in the middle of it, like, oh, did I mention there were two more heavens? Even more heavenly than the last! And it's like, no, Snorri, you didn't mention that. Could you not?
1: God, I, Snorri also will eventually get a, a History Makers at, at some point. I'm excited. he's just, he's so fun to to dissect. His and, life uh, is
2: interesting. <laughs> we,
1: we joke, like, oh, you know, the, the, the poetic of the source we like here at OSP, the prose of the source <laughs> we tolerate here. At one point when we were on, um, Adam's got of war streams i don't remember what the context was but someone had mentioned something as like oh as cited in the prose edda and i think either you or i were like well yeah but that's snorri so we can't really take that for anything (laughs) oh man
2: i feel bad somebody emailed us a while back like hey uh you you mentioned a lot in your videos that you don't trust snorri like you, you think a lot of his stuff are like christian editions could you like point me to why you think that and i was like All right, well, first I recommend you just read the book um, (laughs) and then underline anything that looks suspicious (laughs) from a monotheistic standpoint. Because it's just, it's like Snorri lived 200 years post-Christianization and was writing the stories of his ancestors very deliberately as a way to seemingly construct a shared political identity for large swaths of Scandinavia, because at one point he was actually working for, I think, the king of Norway, like, Hakon I want to say
1: that's correct, yeah, because yeah, he was right either on the eve or right after the unification of of, uh, Iceland under Norway. Yeah, because Snorri's
2: job was politician. Like, he wrote books on the (laughs) side, but his job was politics. Yeah. Uh, So what he ended up doing was like a lot of... uh, He was telling stories, but he had an agenda. It's just unfortunately those are the only sources we have now, so all we can compare them to is like, okay, this shows up in the Poetic Edda because Snorri was referencing the Poetic Edda. He actually quotes it a few times. So that's good, but at the same time, it's like, did he have any sources for the rest of this or was he making shit up? Like, It was happening?
1: revealed to me in a dream.
2: Yeah, literally. It's, uh, like, yeah. sources don't actually get more reliable the older they are. We just run out of corroborating sources and have to take the, sh- the few ones we have at face value. Yeah. And if you've seen some of the stuff people just say online, you can understand why we have to be very fucking careful when we're yeah. researching. An old guy said this once, doesn't mean it means anything. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. boy. But I had a great time and I had a lot of fun illustrating yeah. the um the realms. I'll, I'll I'll move on pretty quick. But uh the realm illustrations, I was actually, that was during the period of the year where I was doing a lot of travel. And I was like, I don't fucking know how I'm going to work on any videos in the process. Wait. So basically, I just had these realm illustrations on my iPad the whole time I was traveling, just like working on all of them. And when I came back, I just slotted them all in and like two thirds of the video was done. It was great. <laughs> That's it was the best feeling. It's like
1: click, click, done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the those... best part is
2: because the... Procreate Saves the the speed paint of anything you work on. I just have speed paints for all of them sitting around. So uh, keep an eye on the shorts part of their YouTube channel in the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, so that <laughs> well, should be Well, are finally time. getting
2: some use out of it.
1: And you can also see those available on our CrowdMade store because they are available as posters. Yeah, uh, we've got a uh, handful, yeah. five or six. Uh, six, yeah. The, the, the top dogs, uh-huh. uh, the, the realms that we are like maybe probably think are actually realms, but like, <laughs> eh. Um, I'm open
2: to suggestions the, for adding more for the record. I was in camp. Let's put all of them up but uh <laughs> you know you know
1: well if 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 you like them let us know we'll 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 see what we can do to add some other ones but they are mm-hmm. available on our crowdmate shop uh print on demand so you can buy them and they'll get shipped off right away yeah um, that's not a limited yeah. stock or anything those are just gonna no? be up yeah. for the foreseeable They're future up yeah. forever yeah, yeah. Um, In
2: contrast to the pins, which are also available, we finally yes. have added some to the Norse pantheon because we've had Loki rattling around for like over a year. Yeah. We finally decided to give him some friends, or at least <laughs> relatives. Uh, so we have acquaintances <laughs> <yeah. laughs> who
1: tolerate him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> work colleagues. Uh, so we yeah. have an Odin pin and a Thor pin, and the Thor pin. Uh, glows in the dark a little bit because yeah. now that I've unleashed this power, uh, I'm not eager to put that toothpaste back in the tube, as it were, because <laughs> I'm having too much fun with it. So his eyes and the lightning around Mjolnir also uh, glow, yeah. which is very fun for me. Yeah,
1: I think I, I showed um, either Adam or Cyan, and they were like, "Oh, so she's gone mad." I'm like, "Yes."
2: <laughs> it's fu- it's art. It's creativity.
1: <laughs> no, it was it was very praiseful. It's like, oh, oh. the the power's been unleashed. <laughs> oh, okay,
2: all right, thanks. I should have yeah. known that my friends would not be like, oh, she's gone mad is a bad thing.
1: <laughs> no, sorry. I should have specified like mad with power. The uh, the, the, the ability kind. to create everything will glow from now until the end of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also uh, there's a little secret uh, Easter egg with some some runes in the Odin pen. So, oh, yeah, uh, just a little uh, bit. Raven-eyed viewers will be able to figure that one out. <laughs> Good one. Um, Those will be available for another week and a half uh, from time of upload. Um, and then uh, if you miss them, they'll be available for Black Friday at the end of the year. So uh, we're excited to be branching out uh, from the Greek pantheon. So if you like these guys, snag them on the store yeah. and uh, add them to your pin board. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. And on the subject of things that aren't us, uh, we occasionally do a little recommendation segment where we talk about like things we've been watching and enjoying recently, and uh, having recently beaten Tears of the Kingdom, I can now go back to doing literally anything else with my time, and I have been enjoying the videos of the YouTube channel Studson Studio, uh, who has a habit of making small models of large complicated uh, buildings and such out of mostly trash. Uh, which I find extremely satisfying to watch. So uh, he recently did one about building Va Meadow, uh, which is the first one I saw. But he also has a lot of like Ghibli stuff. He's built the castle from Howl's Moving Castle like three different times, which feels like an exercise in self-flagellation. But they're so <laughs> fun to watch. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's my recommendation.
1: Va Meadow, a divine beast made of trash for a champion made of trash.
2: (laughs) Uh, Don't preen yourself just for doing your job. Uh, I miss Rivali's Gale and Tears of the Kingdom, but I don't miss Rivali and Tears of the Kingdom.
1: (laughs) All right. So with uh, with that bird slander done, uh, we can move on to the Q&A portion of the podcast.
2: Yeah.
0: Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This first question comes from Lemon Sharks for Red. What's your most controversial or divisive math opinion?
2: Ooh. Uh, actually, this one's easier. Uh, it's that statistics is bullshit. Um, I, I was th- gonna
1: say, are you gonna say statistics? <laughs>
2: yeah, of course it's statistics. Statistics is the only branch of math you can lie with. The, yeah. the good thing about math is that it it preserves truth at every stage of the process. That is literally how math is supposed to work. You use operations that preserve truth, and you get from a a true premise to a true conclusion, and you use that to prove things. It is clean, and beautiful, and precise, and crystalline, and it's ruined every other field of study for me because nothing else is ever truly correct, (laughs) ugh, it's fine. But statistics, the purpose of statistics, one could argue, is to lie to people, because the way our brains are wired, we're not good at perceiving them as it were, like, we really fundamentally seem to perceive the world as a series of Boolean values where things are either true or false. And it doesn't matter that it's true 98% of the time and false 2% of the time in our head It still feels like a coin flip and that is why you can use statistics to lie to people because you can give somebody statistics And make them think anything is the the definite outcome and anything is the not definite outcome. like people will play XCOM and be like how could you miss you had an 80% hit chance and it's like well You see that's a 20% (laughs) miss chance, which is how they miss (laughs) Like, we play TTRPGs for God's sake. We should understand this, but yeah. we don't. It just, it, it doesn't mesh with the way we work. It's the only branch of math that taps into the part of our brain that has intuition and, and gets fucked up about it. So, so, yeah, everything else in math I like um, because I like it when things are correct unconditionally. And then statistics is, uh, the thing is, as a field, I respect statistics. I feel bad for it. Because as soon as that field's results are put out into the world, somebody uses them to make somebody believe something is categorically true or false rather than a statistical sweep of a bunch of possibilities, which is what statistics is. It's the most thankless branch of math and nobody likes pure mathematics except pure mathematicians.
1: I'll also come out and say that percentages are bastards, mm. because you can have, like, percentages of a thing and then percentages of percentages, and you can state them with the same words and mislead people about which one you're actually referring to.
2: Oh, yeah, like a 100% increase. If yeah. the starting percentage is 2%, 100% increase makes it 4%. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> it's, oh,
2: boy. But again, it just feels like a true or false statement. It's like, especially if it's like, oh, this is the chance of, like, developing this illness in my life or something, and it's like, well, if the chance feels high, that means it's definitely going to happen. But if the chance feels low, that means it's never going to happen. And that's neither of those are true. Yeah. <laughs> it's ugh. <sighs> yeah, I like math proofs. Statistics, I had trouble wrapping my head around, and then when I did, I decided they were stupid. So I feel I'm like we had exact opposite
0: <laughs> like math experiences, Red, because I hated all math until I got to stats and I was like oh I get this this is English with numbers I can do this.
2: (laughs) That's the problem it's it's where the Venn diagrams overlap (laughs) it's where the beautiful truth of mathematics is corrupted by human language and its imperfections I I
1: have a picture of Plato on my other monitor because of a video I'm working on. And just like hearing your voice, I can put it in his mouth.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) Thanks, I think.
1: Like pure math is the only thing that is real that we can trust.
2: Uh, (laughs) It's about adding the words to the numbers. The thing is, every scientific field is trying to come close to the level of perfection of proof that you can only attain with pure mathematics the, the idea of like oh we need to reproduce these results in different circumstances you know the scientific method it is an attempt to capture the perfect preservation of truth that you only get in pure math that is completely divorced from the messiness of reality <laughs> Huh. I, I don't know it's Every proofs are a pain I like give... but i love them there's so many ones i like
0: to give red a moment to like just be a math major for a little bit of
2: this show. Ah, it's enrichment. The thing is, normally everyone's like, oh, that Red, she's a chaos goblin, and it's like, I am, because everything is chaos compared to the true order and perfection that I've already mastered with my bachelors of science. Like... Oh, that's uh, funny. I have a bachelor's of science in film and television production. Hey, <laughs> They gave out BS for that. Yeah, that's BA. the thing. When they were like, you can get a bachelor's in arts or a bachelor's in science. And I was like, you mean to tell me I could tell everyone I've been BSing mathematics for the rest of my life? Then I have to do <laughs> that one. Uh, uh, they well, didn't we've give got... me a
1: choice. I've got a bachelor of arts. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I think I technically have a BA and a BS, which is fun because it means Ooh, you get to fancy. click two drop down options on job <laughs> Um, but we've got so many more questions to get to. Uh, <laughs> I want to get one Tears of the Kingdom one in here just because yes. it did come out recently. But we are possibly doing maybe all Zelda episode special in the future. So we're not going to do too many Zelda questions on this one. Ha ha ha. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> Drop your Zelda questions in the ask us pod in the next link. <laughs> uh, but this question comes from Flores to all. How are you guys liking Tears of the Kingdom so far? Any part of the game you had trouble with and any that you thought was amazing? So just sort of reactions to Tears mm. of the Kingdom. Well, I
1: this will decision. go first <laughs> yeah, to do say it. that I have, as of ye- as of the time of this recording, I've played apparently very little of the game. <laughs> I've been keeping red appraised of of my and science progress as we've been been playing it together and the off time we can scrounge between everything else we got to do. Um, but we've we've gotten off. Uh, well, I guess. Ambiguous spoils, uh, spoilers for Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, hereafter, uh, we, we've gotten through, you know, Great Sky Island. We're on uh, the, the, the ground of, of Hyrule. We've been kind of exploring around the center of the map. We've dipped our head uh, into the depths and mm-hmm. hung around with Robbie in literal hell for a while. Um, but other than that, we've been pretty uh, stuck on the overworld in Kakariko, Hateno Village, um, going around the, the, the kind of middly bits, trying to clear out oh, some wow. of the. Uh, the the towers and get the map filled in, but uh, we've as of yet seen very, very little of the game, but I really like it. I, I like the way that the mechanics work. I mean, we were all thinking like, what are we actually gonna do in this game? And then they revealed the gameplay of like Fuse and Ultra Hand and everything. We're like, oh, Yeah. Oh, oh. (laughs) And it's like, ah, okay, cool. We can do all kinds of nonsense. It's like the only way they could improve Tears of the Kingdom was by adding Minecraft and Besiege. Yeah. Sorry, the only way that they could improve Breath of the Wild was adding Minecraft and Besiege into it.
2: (laughs) I do love that it's it's Minecraft now, complete with the Hell dimension. Um, Yeah. I have currently, I I beat Tears of the Kingdom. I didn't intend to. I was just gonna scout an area, and then uh, the boss fight happened. And I won! It was great. Uh, I really didn't think I was going to. All my shields broke. I was through all of my fairies. I hadn't cooked any gloom food beforehand, because I was just scouting the area! But then I won, so it's okay. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, uh, I really like this game. I like with Breath of the Wild, the thing I like most is the story of the game, even if the story is pretty, like, thinly stretched over the mostly open-world gameplay, which is how I like it. I cannot tell you the best part of the game from my perspective because uh, it's a huge spoiler, but what it is I figured out, or I got suspicious of early, didn't want to think was true, but quickly came to the conclusion that I was correct. Had it confirmed by the plot, then couldn't help but notice that Link didn't tell anybody ever. (laughs) And I thought that was so interesting. Um, uh, Real ones in the comments will know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Uh, I just- I'm
1: so confused. That's good, that's
2: that's, 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 that's what you want to be. But But I'm not 100% sure, because I think I'm a little behind, I'm like
0: 75% of the way through the main story of the game.
2: If you get all the geoglyphs early, you yeah. you learn what's up pretty quick, but man, oh, it's so good. Uh, and I, I like, I feel like my complaint about Breath of the Wild is it got easy quick enough that it, it kind of felt like it was sort of rushing you to fight Ganon after a certain point because nothing else was a challenge. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom has the opposite problem. It has a very unforgiving difficulty curve early on. Like, I've never been more thoroughly Metroided in my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I like that a lot because it meant that when I finally actually started, like, getting good weapon equipment and, like, getting a certain like enough hearts uh, to actually be able to tank damage and finally getting the great fairies so I could upgrade my armor like I it felt great to be able to actually freely play the game without getting too shotted by everything on the map um, no. yeah, yeah. Uh, getting the great fairies uh, unlocked is not as not as much of a pain in the ass as I thought it was but none of them are in the same place they were in the previous oh, game which cool. makes it annoying uh, the The game kind of directs you to check out all the stables early on, which I didn't do uh but mm. if I did do that, I would have had the great fairies earlier and probably had an easier time yeah i uh i guess my i like I
0: mentioned i'm like seventy five percent of the way to the main story, but my big thing has been like I want to see all the settlements and know everyone's little stories and how they've all grown <laughs> up and changed in the last game, yeah. so I did like speed run all anything that could be considered a settlement so like stables, all of the towns all the et cetera et ceteras um because. I think what I like most about this game is that the world it's an open world game and it feels incredibly lived in, like even more so than Breath of the Wild. It really does feel like there is a lot of just like stories happening all the time. I love the implementation of the side adventure, like subdivision of side quests where it's like, it's not a main plot and it's not small, like a side quest. It's like, this is going to be a a couple of quests all tied together. You get to do a little Mm -hmm. mini adventure. It'll have effects on the world. I love that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Breath of the Wild's map felt perfectly densely populated. Mm-hmm. Like, you could try something random and the odds were good that it would reward you. It's like, oh, there's a little like stone thing. I'll put an apple in it. Oh, cool, uh, Korok popped out or something. Tears of the Kingdom uh, has made me reevaluate that because Tears of the Kingdom is more densely packed with shit to do and it rewards you almost every time. Uh, and man, it's just it's so fun. Uh yeah. but I also like how it's like you've got the sky islands, but you've also got the depths. And of those yeah. two, there's much more to do in the depths. Like I love the sky islands so much. The game of how high up can I get is super fun, <laughs> although uh I miss in my you, experience scale. I do <laughs> every miss day I long for the up um, ability. <laughs> I what I did find is that like I was like, oh man, there's one island out there. I'm really curious what's on it and what was on it was a boss fight with something that would is about to kill me in two hits, so I left but it's it's yeah. you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. also I love how a lot of the DLC stuff from the first game is now just in the main game of Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. all the DLC armors are hidden somewhere on the map um they like here and the travel mode. medallion the travel they give medallion. you three travel medallions mm-hmm. it's incredible uh. So just that stuff is all great. I love it a lot. Uh, Hero's Path mode is built in from the beginning, which That's is helpful because cool. it's like, where the fuck was I when I was exploring <laughs> yeah. this place? Um, uh, yeah, it's it feels like such a love letter to Breath of the Wild while also being a, a vast expansion on it. Like, mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild did all the hard work of establishing the characters in the world, and now Tears of the Kingdom can just play around, which is the mm-hmm. best way to do a sequel. Yeah. Also, one thing that I like, because you mentioned the world feels a lot more lived in than Breath of the Wild, uh, In Breath of the Wild, there was kind of this overarching frustration of like, it's just me in my underwear, sprinting across Hyrule Field, trying to save the world, with absolutely no help, and now in Tears of the Kingdom, it's more like, if Link tries to do that, the story kicks his ass until he stops and makes him (laughs) learn about the power of friendship, which I love! It's so, like, parts of the narrative are actively centered around people being like, you don't have to do this all by yourself, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't? (laughs) Have you not been paying attention to this franchise? Ugh so beautiful
1: it's very cool.
0: yeah it's yeah it's a fun game uh i found the mechanics a little bit overwhelming at first but i think that the longer tutorial did really do a lot to ease yeah. you into it um the
2: shrines also do a very good job of teaching yeah. you how to
0: use each individual a lot more mechanism. individual teaching shrines than in, the, in breath of the yeah. wild also a lot more of the shrines where you just run around in your underwear and i hate yeah. those. i can't stand <laughs> first... them so it pisses me off every time i run into one <laughs>
2: The first time I floated down into one, and I was like, "Where'd my pants go?" <laughs> uh, this game contrives so, even
0: more reasons to strip-link. <laughs> so many more times in this game are you running around in your
2: underwear? It drives me, it drives me crazy. <laughs> Not even the ending cutscene is immune. Spoiler alert! <laughs> God damn it! It's but, uh, so fun though. I love it. They were, we're like, "No, we in- we got to show off the cool new arm. That's why, for sure." Yeah. <laughs> I do love how many
0: more, I'm sure, Red, you'll appreciate this, how many more at least one sleeved options we've been given in Armor (laughs) sets I love it. I love it so much. Um, But yeah, we're inevitably going to talk about Tears of the Kingdom. So, so much more. uh, I'm already planning my
2: second playthrough because I, you know, now that I won, I'm like, I never even checked out Eventide. I only got two out of three Labyrinths. What am I doing? Because I was just scouting the area. I didn't mean uh, to defeat the King of Evil.
1: I also do like that you can uh, commit war crimes against Koroks now. (laughs) That's a huge improvement on the base game. Mm. Uh,
2: (laughs) No, absolutely not. That stresses me out too much. I just feel so bad for the little guys. (laughs) Yeah, um, but we'll... Making talk.
1: Korok's physics objects was a mistake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I admittedly, I didn't get it the first time I found one on the sky. I was like, I need to reach my friend. I was like, oh, that's rough, buddy. And then I just left. But then later I was oh. like, wait, the backpack. Perhaps I can fuse the backpack. And then it, it worked great. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't try it. I was just like, oh, all right, see you later, bud. <laughs> oh, it's too tired. Can't stand up. All right, later. <laughs> that's rough, man. <laughs> um. I lost my arm. 90% of my hearts, all of my clothes, my ponytail, and my girlfriend. So, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, we'll save some of our Tears of the Kingdom ranting and raving for inevitably future live streams and podcast episodes and <laughs> just our entire lives. So, uh, we'll move on to some other questions. This one comes from Bexy Boohoo. to blue, if you could prevent one historical assassination, who would you save? Mine is Bobby Kennedy. So, save someone from their inevitable doom.
1: Fascinating. Mm. Uh, this is one of the few, like, branches of, of alt-history that I that I want to entertain, because I'm, I'm not usually a fan of, like, alternate history, because it often ends up with, like, presupposing a conclusion where it's like, oh, you know, what if Rome never fell? You need to change a lot of things about Rome to make it a situation yeah. where it would never fall. Like, oh, what if Germany yeah. won World War II? They never had a chance. You have to change so many things to make that even remotely possible. People really um, love
2: that one for some reason, though.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not unpack that. Um, one, so the the two versions or like the three versions of old history that I that I'm okay with is one which I just is like a fun one is like only one hemisphere like exists. Like we never we never go across. We never do the Columbian exchange. It's like only the Western Hemisphere is its own system forever. Only the Eastern Hemisphere is its own system forever. What happens if it's like it's the 1400s? We just let those systems run. Mm. That's neat. Uh, what if random things get fucked up by storms? Uh, because that's pretty much pure random chance And then, what if a figure who had an assassination attempt lived? Uh Because, like, Caesar, you know, he died because apparently only one of his stab wounds was fatal. What if he made it? Uh, I don't know. I feel that, like,
2: it's... after a while, it's not about how fatal the individual stab wounds are. <laughs>
1: Collectively, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you can't say, like, oh, what if Caesar was never assassinated? It's like, what if Caesar had the attempt on his life, and he survived? That's a more interesting question, because you have to change a lot of things to get to a situation where the Senate never tries to shank the man. Uh, Yeah, Um, because that's
2: the problem. It's like, are we suggesting that nobody afterwards successfully assassinates that? Because, like, you don't tend to get to the point of assassination by being a generally, like, totes (laughs) A-OK dude with only one weirdo being, like, must murder. Like, I'm, I'm sure that happens. It's just... This is kind of a situation I feel like with a lot of history where it's like, the question is not if this is going to happen, it's when this is going to happen. It's like, uh, is this going to happen now or a few years down the line? Uh, You can kick the can down the road, but you can't get rid of it entirely. Uh, Something I like about how certain forms of storytelling handle it is the implication of like, you don't need to do this right now, right now, but you have (laughs) to do it eventually. I was rereading Lord of the Rings and one thing uh, I actually yeah. like about the books compared to the movies is that the pace is very leisurely but it makes the dread of the threat more powerful because it's like you can spend all the time you want in Rivendell. You can spend months here if you want, but you are going to have to leave because the problem with the Sauron is not going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you know, it's it's weeks or months or years but it's going to happen. So the question of the old history is like it's not just you prevent this assassination attempt, but when they try again next week, it works great. Like yeah. There's a few things that need to be changed for it to just not happen for the person to live like the full length of their life and then die of old age or something.
1: Yeah, so I try to call to mind what assassinations are particularly dramatic. Um, I don't subscribe to the idea that Alexander the Great was poisoned. I think the man just died. Mm. Um, so it's like, oh, what if he never died? Eh, he w- he was a little bold. He would have got what was coming to him eventually. <laughs> um, gosh, I, I mean, there's certainly a handful of Roman emperors. Some people are like, "Oh, if Aurelius was never assassinated, he would have given the Roman Empire, uh, Roman Empire, another, you know, 300 years of life." I don't, uh, I don't really think so. It would have, it would have had the same problems no matter what. Um, gosh, uh, I do you an also answer, run into the I...
2: problems of like, was this a political assassination? <laughs> because sometimes that's a, that's a. That's, it's like, is that a conspiracy theory, or did the CIA actually admit to that 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, my dad, at least, uh, thinks pretty strongly that um, uh, without the Kennedy assassination, we, w- we never would have gotten involved in Vietnam. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe good ending uh, in that scenario, and I think that's probably fair. Yeah. But, jeez. Oh,
2: I think Joan of Arc should have been not murdered. Oh, I think no, she yeah. would have been oh, yeah. great. I, I yeah. think maybe, like, I, I don't know, just on principle. I have a soft spot for her. She's cool, and it kind of sucks what happened to her.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, if, uh, if Abraham Lincoln wasn't assassinated, Reconstruction probably would have gone a lot better.
2: Mm. So fair point.
1: and again I can't say that for sure because I don't know what a problems would have what I don't know what problems would have arisen had Lincoln still been around. It it may have still been a mess to try to do reconstruction. Everyone might have still resisted mm. it anyway.
2: Well, the good thing about alternate history uh, thought experiments is they have absolutely no bearing on reality. So you can kind <laughs> of just do what you want yeah. and nobody can actually tell you you're correct or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well,
1: probably uh, Lincoln.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Woo. Well, this next question comes from Core2Red. I just received my Ursa Major pin, and I absolutely love it. It's immediately one of my favorites, along with Hades and Persephone and Apollo and Artemis. My question to you is, what is your favorite pin you've designed so far?
2: Ursa Major is up there. Um, (laughs) I really, like, I've designed one more constellation pin so far. I'm hoping to do more uh, because I really like that stained glass approach, and I like integrating the just little star effects It's an interesting challenge because a lot of constellations don't actually really look like the thing they're supposed to look like, so making it work is kind of (laughs) hard. Like how the bear has a big fluffy squirrel tail, even though no bear in the world has a tail like that. Um, But it has to because there's stars in it. Anyway, um, but apart from that one, which has the soft spot for being one of the more recent pins I designed, let me just take a quick look at my pin board to refresh my memory. Uh, Yeah, okay. Yeah. I like most of them, but uh, I think that I really like the Poseidon and Athena ones. Um, mm. Because I remember I, I'd done like a design for them and I was like, I can make this better. And I went in, and I fancied it up. I made Athena's shield with the gorgon head, all the details, the eyes, the snake hair, uh, Poseidon's pin with the water splash effect. That was yeah. an interesting mm-hmm. challenge to do. Um, It was just like, I I felt something like shift in my head while I was designing those, and I was like, I've got it. And then after (laughs) that, I think I designed the Demeter and Hestia ones, and that is is similarly, like I could have done this simply, but I did something fancy, and especially Hestia with the sort of flame effects and the hair and the- That's
1: really cool, yeah. yeah. Mm.
2: (laughs) On the subject of things I would design differently if I had glow-in-the-dark enamel at the time. Yeah. The fire goddess would have been up there, but uh,
1: if we ever reissue Hestia, we can do that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um Yeah, I mean, you know, I I just I'm so happy designing pins. It's so fun. It's like quick but incredibly rewarding for me, and then they're just incredibly sturdy little bits of bits of kit, which I love. Um but in terms of my current ongoing obsession, definitely going to be more constellation pins in my future (laughs) because there's so many options to choose from and i'm having so much fun with them (laughs) excellent well this next
0: question comes from novagen to all pieces of media that you tried to like but you couldn't get into uh what are some i guess what are some pieces of media you tried to like that couldn't get into and bonus points if it isn't something popular um (laughs) so i guess is there anything that you've tried um... to watch or read that you just like everyone loves or
2: that you you heard was good but you just couldn't something didn't click. I flashed back to 8th grade the anime wars everyone is debating whether Bleach Naruto or One Piece is the best show and I'm deeply curious everyone's talking about them they must be good right uh yeah so None of those shows. Of the three, the only one I could watch more than a few episodes of was Bleach, and that didn't go so great for me either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was, it was. I think it was just a pacing thing, because of course, One Piece is already incredibly Forever. slow and long. Like watching it, especially watching like early dubs of it, wouldn't recommend. Um, Naruto, I think I got through like the Zabuza fight, and I was like, how much fucking more of this show is there? Oh, no way, so <laughs> too it's just, much. just yeah. too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Bleach kind of wore me out after a while. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that, that was probably my first exposure to, like, I don't understand why I'm not enjoying this thing more. Uh, there's definitely been more since then, but I'll need to think okay. it over.
1: Yeah. I I didn't want to play... Um... The Last of Us 2 when it came out because that was like height of early COVID. I'm like, I can't deal with this. That wasn't like any knock on the game. I'm sure it's very well made. It's just, I I can't. But uh, the one that I thought of was uh, I had heard only amazing things about Sonic Mania, which is the the kind of new take on the retro Sonic games. Because right. it's like, it's the pure experience of playing the old games, you know, redesigned for a modern you know, set of hardware. And I was like, I... I, oh, I don't like this. Like, this is the one that everyone says, like, all the Sonic games are trash, but this one's good. And I'm like, I don't, I, I clearly I'm missing something here because I just did not click with it whatsoever. Mm. Sign and I tried to mm. play it and we're like, I don't, what am I supposed to, I don't feel fast. I'm just confused.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably one of those things where if you already have the muscle memory from the earlier games, yeah. it probably yeah. translates say, great, but it doesn't
0: tutorialize at all. No. Who was telling um. you that Sonic mania is the point at which you should now get into the Sonic games? <laughs> Dunkey. Yeah. Video game yeah. Dunkey. I yeah. trust him. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, uh, I heard only great things about Over the Garden Wall. Everyone uh, in my life told me it was fantastic. I watched someone made me watch it with them and I'm like, objectively, yeah, this is really well made. I'm sure it's a great experience. I just don't care about it, even a little bit. Like I was watching I'm like this is doing absolutely nothing for me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I feel no
0: fair. emotional that's... attachment to this. <laughs> I don't Episodes... think it's a style I love.
1: Uh, yeah. Episodes it wrong two with through it. five Almost lost me. And then only after that lurch did I, like, my brain change to understand the bonkers logic. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, I get it now. Nothing I get makes the sense. Logic. Cool.
0: I watched all of it. I just yeah. didn't care. Like, there's never a yeah. point where suddenly I started liking it. And that's fine. Sometimes just yeah. pieces of media just don't click with you. And that's how life is. But yeah, that's one that I always worry a little bit because it's an internet darling. <laughs> so yeah. I never want to bash it too much. But I just really didn't care yeah. for it.
2: I I just thought of a more controversial one for me. Than dunking on two out of three of everyone's favorite anime from the mid. I like um, One
0: Piece, but I completely respect your opinion to dislike yeah. it. It's,
2: it's not even that I dislike it. Not it's just for <laughs> the anime I can't watch. There's too much of it, uh, and it's yeah. it's very fucking slow to start. Um, I haven't super enjoyed the more recent Ghibli movies mm. since like Ponyo. Like, I didn't I didn't like Ponyo very much. I know a lot of people oh, think yeah. Ponyo is absolutely adorable and very sweet. I was just mostly like, are we asking the four-year-olds to commit to a lifelong relationship so the world doesn't end?
0: I just I feel like was... that's not great. <laughs> I don't think they were committing to a lifelong relationship. I think they were just saying, like, yeah, we care about each
2: other. I'm just I'm sorry. Know, I'm not like, here to defend. <laughs> no, but again, it, it was a case where it's like because again, for me, like Studio Ghibli, the early ones, so fucking formative for me. Like, yeah. no, everything there is a winner. I absolutely adored uh, Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky together. Formulate a solid like 60 percent of my personality and aesthetic tastes. Um, and you know, even the even the ones like uh, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, even uh, just a lot of things that I just I really like. I think they're fantastic. They they produce such a such a complicated feeling about the world. Obviously Totoro was, like, the first thing I watched. Panda Go Panda was in there somewhere. But, like, <laughs> everything that they've done since then, like, I don't know, Secret World of Arrietty, Whisper of the Heart, um, I think I've seen that one, and uh, the fucking Tales from Earthsea movie that's actually just bad, like, it's, I don't know, I, it's sad to me because I wish I liked them more. I, I don't remember <laughs> which of those movies that I was watching with friends who were, like, super into it, and I was like, I am not connecting with this at all to a degree that it's giving me a minor crisis (laughs) um I don't know it's yeah I don't know I think the thing is like Castle in the Sky and Naushka are fundamentally extremely similar movies about very similar themes and uh the more recent ones just kind of aren't and I just don't like them as much um that's fair you know those ones resonated with me for different reasons but it is kind of a bummer because for a lot of people like Ponyo is just just so good for them they just absolutely love it and for me it's just like (laughs) meh Maybe I'm just not a baby watching this, and that's that's why I'm not really vibing with these baby protagonists who are babies. Ponyo is very, like, I feel
0: like it's a comfort foodie movie for me. Like, would I say it's my favorite Ghibli one? No, but it is very, like, this is just soft. Things are just happening. There's some fish. I like the pretty lights. <laughs> I, I
1: think things are just happening is a good way to describe it. <laughs>
0: mm, okay. Uh, it's not, I can imagine that thinking even for two seconds about it beyond, ooh, pretty, would probably change the experience a bit. Um, but Yeah uh i
2: think i mean there's been a few like there's a lot of cases i think where it's like oh this thing's super popular i give it a shot Mm, oh yeah whatever and then we just don't think about it anymore like most of us don't really work up ahead of steam i think most of the anger comes from things that we used to like and no longer do or things that have started disappointing (laughs) us um which we don't need to get into but there have been stories like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah everyone's everyone's gonna have some stuff that just doesn't like click with them just because something's popular
2: yeah. doesn't mean it's gonna be like an instant win you know yeah it's and that's totally fine yeah it's, you know nobody's fucking forcing you to watch this stuff and if anyone is uh don't do it <laughs> you know or there's nothing wrong with giving something a chance if like you're having a movie night with friends and they all pick something yeah. sure yeah but you oh, don't man, have to I've watched it. so many shitty movies and it's so fun like yeah. they're not good but man they're such parties <laughs>
0: Um, but we've got more questions to get to. This one comes from Healy's To all, what's something in media that scared you as a child but is silly in retrospect? Bonus points Do you stand by it actually being scary or do you have no idea why it did that? So, what's something that like scared you when you were a kid and now you're like,
2: ah, so silly. many? I have so many. Um,
1: on the subject of of Ghibli movies and Spirited Away, where the protagonist's parents like turn into pigs and die, that fucked me up for years. <laughs> they don't
2: die; they're fine. They come back in the end.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to see the rest of the movie. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> um, so I have several things. Uh, there were a number of pieces of imagery from various things that just haunted me for fucking ages. Uh, I think the first thing I remember having nightmares about uh, from media was from an episode of Red Dwarf that I watched before I was, like, capable of cognitive thought, really. But, like, my parents were watching it, and they had me around, so, like, you know, I'd watch it. And, uh, some, like, it's some kind of, like, times going weird, and basically a bird gets, like, de-evolved into being, like, a fucking T-Rex, and there's suddenly huh. a T-Rex around. Uh, and that scared the shit out of me. Uh, so I don't even remember any details about it. I am positive it doesn't hold up now. There's no way the effects were good. Um... <laughs> But uh, th- there were a few other things like that. Um, I was generally afraid of volcanoes erupting on my street. I was quite sure that this was a very real thing that could happen because <laughs> volcanoes are scary. Uh, that no longer bothers me at all. Um, yeah. But like whenever we watched like, a Pompeii documentary in school, I'd be like, I knew it, <laughs> they're coming <laughs> for me. Um, uh, after that, like when I was like 10 or 11, when New Who came out, like more Doctor Who, uh, yeah like the fucking fourth episode they hit me with was the empty child where a guy's fucking face gets turned into a gas mask by nanomachines it's the fucking scariest thing i'd ever seen and it haunted me for actual months like i my sleep got so fucked up because i was having nightmares all the time uh and i haven't rewatched that episode to date because i know it would still be scary
0: (laughs) yeah i had i think two main things one specifically from the name of this book is secret which is a series i loved as a kid but in the first book there's a lot of like talk about mummification and Hmm. the idea of like i could be mummified someday As a child in suburban Pennsylvania, terrified me. I'm like, they're gonna pull my brain out through my nose. And I'm like, no. Uh,
2: I'm sorry, um, I understand completely. That's not sillier than the volcano thing. I was like, this is going
0: to happen to me, <laughs> like, tomorrow. And I'm like, this is horrifying. And um, the other thing that freaked me out a lot was E.T. from the movie E.T. I hated that movie. I still really hate that movie. I look, it's a classic, but man, is that wrinkly little alien dude terrifying to look at? E. (laughs) he's pretty fucked up yeah (laughs) and then when they do the bit in the movie with the house covered in all like the fumigation tents and everything while they're doing this government research nightmare shit years even now i will occasionally have a nightmare i'm like ah (laughs) et i'm back in the ET
2: house (laughs) it's the ET house
0: the government is here uh so yeah no those are my two irrational childhood fears and frankly i think that they were rational (laughs) um but we've got time for one last question here a Short and sweet one. Uh, this comes from wolfheart to all If you had a pirate ship, what would you name it? Oh, that's good. Name your pirate ships. They got it. But got
2: it. there are already such good names for pirate ships. Yeah, <laughs> a
1: lot of the good ones have already been taken. Who can <laughs>
2: fucking beat the Queen Anne's Revenge? I named my first external hard drive that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm... I guess it depends on- I feel like any like... cool name I'm gonna volunteer, it's gonna turn out I got from somewhere, like.
1: <laughs> uh, I would have a ship called the Ship of Theseus and every time it sinks, I get a new one and they're like, oh my God, we, we keep sinking the ship and it comes back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? What's He's invincible. That? <laughs> What's that sci-fi series where, like, they name each ship after the way the previous one was destroyed? So it's like the Fireball XL4 or (laughs) (laughs) Pancake XL3. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hold on, I'll just look it up.
1: (laughs) And, of course, you have the Unsinkable 2, the Unsinkable 1, Burndown, and Dry Dock. I've made that joke, like, Uh, five times on the podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Apparently there was just a show called Fireball XL Five, but I don't know if it's true. It might just be one of those fan theories. I don't know though. Um, um, names for pirate ships. Ship of Theseus is pretty funny because of Ship course you're like, would you be Captain Theseus? And it's like, no, no, uh, <laughs> unrelated. Actually,
1: <laughs> it's it, it's a different guy, but we fulfill the same function. So you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm dread I'll pirate roberts kind it. of situation yeah
2: exactly yeah
1: the dread pirate theseus
2: ah. <laughs> i don't have any
0: logic behind it whatsoever i just think it's two words that sound cool together but i think war raven would be a good ship name you could paint the whole thing black
1: okay. yeah get Ooh. some
0: like accessories going on it would be so hot because you know well, i guess yeah. like crows but like gathering little things little
2: knickknacks but with battle <laughs> battle yeah Oh no. Now I have to be clever. You guys or you have like clever. a whole
1: fleet of them and it's called the murder because yeah. it's like, the murder of crows.
0: Beware of the murder on the high seas. It's yeah, pretty good. It's all about branding, really. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you're a pirate. It's about
2: Blackbeard style. knew that. <laughs> Blackbeard understood. It's all Blackbeard about presentation. A good PR team. <laughs> uh no.
0: Or like the Echo, you know, anything where it's like, it sounds like just a cool plan, like something's coming back.
2: The XX Queen Ends Revenge 69 XX. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this username is already taken. Arr, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on. Ah, it's case sensitive, damn it. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, realistically, I would give it the most edgelordy cool name I could yeah. possibly think of. Um, but it would be fucking stupid so I'd, I'd get embarrassed
0: by it within yeah. like two years I think what realistically would happen is someone would ask me to name my ship so they could paint the name on the side of the ship and then I would leave it unpainted for years and years and years unnamed ship because like I couldn't fucking commit to one goddamn name <laughs> it's
1: or the it's reason like that I those can't put stickers on anything. where it's like <laughs> no thanks I don't want a name for my ship so they write no thanks <laughs> I don't want a name for my <laughs> <Yeah>. ship <laughs>
2: <laughs> no engraving please just paint it on the side <laughs> I mean, realistically, what I'd do is I'd name it the Stargazer because it's a Star Trek reference Ooh. and accurate for what I'd be using Ooh. it for. But it doesn't feel creative. It doesn't that? <laughs> Admittedly, to be. neither does Ship of Theseus. But like, come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the terror of the high seas. The no engraving, please.
2: <laughs> if, if it's the joke, but like you've taken every part of the joke out and then replaced it with something else, is it the same joke? Or... <laughs> uh, well, we've got a whole
0: fleet of veritable fear striking names uh and i believe with that it's time to raise the flags and have red baby take us out of this dangerous water that we're in
2: hoist the colors high all right uh great thank you all so much for listening as always we'll be back in two weeks with another uh fun and fun-filled episode of the overly sarcastic podcast that's right fun
1: and fun-filled oh my Whoa. stars <laughs> yeah
2: yeah it's uh, as always bi-weekly but not that bi-weekly it's the other bi-weekly uh just just to clarify things a little bit uh if you are interested do check out our pins that are available on our Crowdmate shop and also perhaps the realm posters they're pretty neat i had a lot of fun with them. Um, Yeah, we'll obviously have more videos out on Friday, so keep an eye out for those. We're going to have a good time with them. I don't think we actually have a whole lot else going on, so I guess until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on June 7th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.